All right, everyone, we're back. Today is April 18th, recording another episode, and so far, engagement's been pretty good. You can watch these on YouTube, too, but we're going to maybe stretch out the length a little bit. But, hey, Anthony, welcome back. What are we talking about today? Oh, another wacky world, huh? It never gets any easier. Here we go. Here we go. So what do we got? So I'm going to touch a little lightly on a couple articles since we last talked. Because there's kind of a meteor one I wanted to dive into with you, Tavis, and for whoever may be listening. Um, so I guess without further ado, so I have an article here from April 15th from Oil Price saying that China's offshore oil giant exits Western markets over sanctions fear. So uh, CNOC. CNOOC is getting ready to quit its business and assets in the US, the UK, and Canada over concerns that it may came, come under secondary sanctions. I guess this article was actually April 13th. Oil price article um, seems preemptive ish, isn't it? Does not seem that way. Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, like, well, you know, let's go ahead and get our stuff squared away right now because we might just might want to, I don't know seems a little yeah who knows why but we're preparing yeah you know we we maybe china you know our oil industry we're just gonna like voluntarily pair off our exposure to the west's oil infrastructure <coughs> oh man these allergies are kicking my butt <laughs> so anyway um going on environmentalists Ah, God, I can't even read that article. You know, half of them are probably funded by Russia anyway, so we'll just move on from there. <laughs> um, uh, uh, Russia Deputy PM says several buyers agree to pay in rubles for Russian gas. Rubles for Russian gas. Well, I guess, you know, it sounds like a lot of these people don't have much of a choice, huh, Taz? No, they don't. We've been talking about it for two weeks, and it is kind of shaping up the way we called. I mean, the oil price article from April 15th, EU embargo, Denmark and Hung no Hungary, sorry, Hungary said we can't do it because it would destroy our economy. So at this point, people's self-interest. Germany, they can't do it because they have no other forms of energy to sustain their population. So while it is all romantic and a nice idea and the hearts are in the right place, people are seeing that it's just not feasible. They are not energy independent and it leaves them in the position where they have to fund this conflict. Yep. Yep. No, it's, uh, look, the timing of this wasn't picked out of a hat. Let's just say that, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things going on. And one of them is that Europe is, well, we're going to, we're going to get off our Russian gas for the next two years, guys. Yeah. But Russia, don't pull the rug out from us before then. Oh, what are we going to do? Yeah. It's like such a joke. Such a freaking joke. All these Western countries are shaking their fists, and it's pathetic. It's pathetic because it's not doing anything. I don't see it's work. It's not working from what we can tell. I mean, Russia's still doing what they're doing, yeah? Mm -hmm. I mean, we can sit here and hope that it works. Oh, come on. So even if it did work, this whole, we're going to shake our fists at you, you don't think that Russia is fully going to plan for that these countries are going to get off of its fuel. Come on. Come on. Mm. What are you, born yesterday? What do you think the long-term play out on this thing is? It's going to be a shifting 
All right, it's going to be hey U.S. dollar and NATO rules and the Western. You're going to have to share the world stage a little bit more than you're used to. Mm-hmm. That's what this all. That's all roads lead there. And, and, and in all honesty, throwing and there's been people that have wrote about this throwing this sanction after that sanction, basically all these threats and all these half measures without doing the full yank is doing nothing more but pushing all that axis to more align with each other. But it's not like, hey, I'm going to push you off a cliff. You better learn how to land real quick. Mm -hmm. We're going to nudge them off a couple of feet and then nudge them off a couple more feet. It's kind of like we're easing the fall here because we roll out this and then we give it a couple weeks and we roll out that and we give it a couple weeks. And the whole stage is just – it's just – I don't know if it's political theater. I think a lot of that is it. It's just if you look at what's actually happening, you take these steps to punish Russia and you're drawing out the time frame enough so that they can get other things lined up. And it's not like they went into this without fully budgeting for everything they've probably already seen and more possibly. Mm-hmm. I, I find all this just a bunch of political theater. You know, at the end of the day, we've talked about this before on this show, you don't just outright say, right out, rip the Band-Aid off, we're done letting you ship your oil and gas. Mm-hmm. If you pulled it really hard and really fast, you might have had a chance to actually get them to, uh-oh, this is happening too quick. Man, we bit off more than we can chew. But doing this as it unfolds over weeks and months yeah, that now. Yeah, gone. Yeah. That n- ship has sailed. That <laughs> ship has sailed, man. I mean, golly. And so let's circle it back to home here in the United States, Tavis. What are we? We all have heard probably many of our listeners, if not all of them, should be aware of the big announcement from the Washington, D.C. area, the the White House and the Biden administration. What, what's uh, what's going on there, Tavis? Biden administration's federal drilling moratorium. Now that was very early on, just after he well killed the Keystone XL, and it was all political theater again, probably, in an attempt to try and show that the United States was serious about the climate, was serious about climate change and reform, and getting off oil and gas. That was a very strong campaign point for him, and that really dragged on way too long. People kept pushing, hey, when's this report going to be finalized? Because they said they were researching and nothing really happened. Finally, we get to today where we're resuming drilling on federal land. They can start leasing. There's a sale, but it's only about 20% of the size of previous sales. And also uh, royalties have completely just skyrocketed. (laughs) Yeah. And it will have minimal impact likely. (laughs) Yeah. You know... This is just, to me, this is just more political theater. And I'm pretty sure a lot of people will agree with it that listen to this, what we have to talk about. It's, hey, we told the industry that we would let them develop federal lands. You took the royalty from 12.5% to Mm 18.75. That's a 50% increase in your top line take. I'm sorry, but if you're going to be uh, 
politically hostile towards what we're trying to do, mm -hmm. I would expect better economics, not worse. I just would. Honestly, I think the uptake in bids on federal lands is going to be pretty darn low. Do you think that is intended? This is an idea that just popped into my head. Is this a case study for the federal government to go, hey, we gave big oil the ability to produce on federal lands and it changed nothing. They can't step up to the plate. They are not someone we can rely on. Is that what this is being set up for? Or is it just a piss poor attempt to try and get some more production? Uh, God, who knows what they think. I mean, look, it, in a lot of areas, you know, federal land or BLM acreage, Bureau of Land Management acreage, is um, either checkerboarded in with your other stuff. Mm -hmm. And if it is blocks, it's blocks on, you know, certain areas of the map, right? It's There are some operators that have a very huge exposure to federal leases. Most of those on production, though, were those leases were set up before all this stuff is going mm -hmm. on, right? Um, and a lot of those leases are probably in a situation where as long as there's production, it the lease is in place as it was originally, right? There's always a chance that the less the lessor, otherwise the federal government can change terms on that, but that would be yeah, I don't know that'll happen. Um, but for new leases, so you gotta think about this is this is new leases, right? This is things that haven't been leased yet. Why? Why would somebody sign up to go into that lease? It's the one of the most. It's the most unfavorable economics for a federal lease in the history of federal leases. I, I don't know if it's ever been that high. No, you I have mean, to be desperate. Twelve and a half percent is one eighth. That's that's been. You know, I, I read something along the lines that, well, maybe this is the federal government. You know, learning from over time, landowners became more savvy, private mineral owners became more savvy, and it's it's not out of the realm of possibility that you know you could have royalties that aggregate up to over twenty percent in the in you know when you're dealing with Rancher Joe, for example. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, again. I'm dealing with hostile political situation here. I expect far better than average economics to help offset that. Mm -hmm. Don't take what I already perceive as political risk in my own country and then make the economic and then dilute the economics on top of it. I'm just going to have no appetite for that. None. Why? I mean, I just and here's the other thing, the best acreage that we've found so far, it's already leased. <laughs> yeah, this isn't right? opening up anything groundbreaking. Revolutionary. I know. So and the, the, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, that, you know, that person that was writing, trying to frame up that, hey, you know, maybe this could work because, you know, the private markets had higher than, you know, we've seen royalties 20, 25%. You know what? I can tell you that most of the time that that even happens is they developed a hot spot. It's a primo tier one acreage and there's the next wells off to the side, the next delineation wells, the next in that real immediate area, then yeah, they'll negotiate for a higher. 
And so if there's some BLM acreage, federal acreage right next to a hot development zone, you're probably going to have the same mentality. But a lot of oil companies, when they saw BLM, I mean, it's not like there's a mystery that it's, it's federal land, right? So everything in the federal government takes time. You, if you think that you're going to go to federal acreage delineating off of your stuff, you're more likely to advance getting those leases out there further than going to knock on Rancher Joe's door. Because Rancher Joe, you might be able to close a lease in weeks, right? And negotiations and the whole thing. And Rancher Joe is somebody that if you have to send your team of attorneys on, you can and you will, right? The federal government, this is a whole different ballgame. I just see, I guess I don't see a lot of real uptake desire from this. We're going to open it up. They opened up a lot less and they opened it up at basically worse economics than people have maybe ever seen mm. for federal leases, right? That I, I find this to be, at best, a political move to say, hey, look, we're embracing the fear or embracing the necessary evil of needing fossil fuels right now. We don't like them, <laughs> but we will accept it. There's a need there right now. <laughs> and, you know... That's the best thing is that you can figure is that this is political theater, right? Like, I don't, I honestly don't think the people in the administration expect a huge appetite to get under federal leases under these terms. I, I don't, I don't, I think they, they would be for their moral righteousness, totally fine if nobody wants to lease federal minerals, right? Yeah, I'm more but, curious to see what happens with the Biden administration, because at this point, what promises has he kept up with and who is he actually pleased? Not the environmentalists anymore. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the other irony, too. It's like it's like you're just going you try to walk this mill road in politics and you just generally end up alienating both sides at the same time. Pissing off everybody. <laughs> right. And then the people in the middle can only really make their decisions by listening to who's louder on the extremes. And they, they see people on both ends of the extreme complaining about the same people. And it's like, well, mm -hmm. oh, man, they must be really messed up. It's like, well, <laughs> they can't align themselves with anything. But, you know, let's, <clears throat> let's zoom out here. And what kind of an impact is this federal land stuff even have? I mean, what are we looking at, Tavis? I mean, we're not talking about other countries here where minerals are predominantly owned by the government. No, no, no. We're talking about there's a lot of minerals in this country that are owned by private citizens. And there's a lot of postulation out there, and I would endorse with this belief, that a lot of the reason for so much innovation in the oil and gas industry from the United States is because you have private enterprise. You have a private company that can go out and knock on a private landowner's door and say, hey, man, let's try and figure this out. And if we get it right, we're going to make oodles of money, but we're going to send you oodles of money too because you got the minerals. And they sign the lease and then they go out and poke around until they figure out something that works and everybody wins. And then when they do that enough, the whole industry sees, oh man, there's a whole different way to do something. I mean, this was the whole reason that the shale revolution even happened. Mm -hmm. No, I this is a whole that reason. theory as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. We, we look at our biggest producer, I mean Texas, you know, that's the golden child of industry in the United States. And they're very successful at what they do. And according to 2018 data, the percentage of federal land there is 1.9%. And it is just a breeding ground <laughs> of innovation and industry and private mineral rights. But then we wow. down that list of production. And that uh, percentage of federally owned land goes up. You know, we got this thing up here. You know, yeah, Texas was the number one in 2020. We have the U.S. accounting for, and this is uh, from visualcapitalist.com, mapped U.S. oil production by state, right? I mean, you can find a lot of good statistics from other places like the Energy Information Administration, EIA. Um, but um, looking at this here, the U.S. accounts for, in 2020, 15% of the world's total oil production, right? Uh, of the 50 U.S. states, 32 produced oil totaling nearly 4.1 billion barrels of oil in 2020. So all of the oil producing states in the United States produced around 4.1 billion barrels of oil in 2020, okay? The number one spot out of that 4.1 was Texas at 1.8. Oh my God. Yeah. So Texas, you're talking about I mean, man, over 40% of the U.S. oil half, production. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's... Whew, yowzas. All right, so who comes in at number two after that is North Dakota. Eh? We're going from stepping from 1.8 billion barrels in Texas to 431 million in North Dakota. That dropped that's off number pretty two. quick. <laughs> What are we talking about for federal lands there? Oh, man, they blow Texas out of the water, almost doubling their percentage at 3.9%. <laughs> yeah. So our okay. two largest producers are already bringing almost nothing to the table if federal lease sales were to resume right. at this magnitude, 20%. Right. Yeah. So then we go to number three on the list. We've got New Mexico from 2020. $379 million. Uh what are we looking at? We I think we have a little bit more federal exposure there, don't we? A little bit more. It is 31.7%, but that's, you know, 0.38 billion of the 4.1 billion that the United States produces. Yeah. So yeah. Diminishing returns yeah, exactly. further down this list. Yep. And then after that, we've got Oklahoma at 171 million. Let's see. What Oklahoma, do we got? Oklahoma, I've got a whopping 1.5% a new woo, low. Woo. <laughs> so what are we at? We're at one, two, three, four states, and only one of them is over 3% federal yeah. exposure? Yeah. Okay. All right. So after Oklahoma, we've got – actually, this is kind of a surprise. Again, this is 2020. Um, Colorado at $165 million. What do we got for federal exposure that's actually there. much larger at 36.2%, and I'd wager that has something to do with national parks, which also means taking a lot of permission for federal leasing off the table, I'd bet. Okay. So then we'll round it off with one more. California comes in after that at 140. Oh, oh Alaska comes in at $164 million. Then This California is a significant one. So even though it's only 164, Alaska, unsurprisingly, is at about 60.9% federal ownership, which makes wow. sense anyway so we look at these states that that uh we just went through the top six or seven whatever um boy a lot of some of those 
federal exposures are larger, but you know, what, what kind of that, how does that math pencil out really quick Tavis? I mean, what kind of exposure in 2020 production was, I guess, federal oriented? Well, we're looking at a total of 4.1 billion barrels. Those five states we looked at are 2.94. So about 72% of U.S. production, those five states, they have an average of 15% federal land. And like you said, boosted by New Mexico and Colorado. So this deal is pretty small in scope and not competitive in the first place. You're probably right. I don't think we'll see a lot of change in production on federal land. Yeah, probably not. I mean, unfortunately, I think... I think what comes into play here more than anything is in this country, we do have a lot of private mineral ownership, which is very unusual, Um, very unusual, especially to the size that we have private mineral ownership Mm -hmm. all over the country. Um, It's almost as if all the federal government can really do is just create a problem. Either they stay out of the way and they, (laughs) you know, or they just create a problem. Right? Pretty good at that. And and it's not as if they are going. They, we have a very different political system here than in most other places, right? And we and and it's all linchpinned by private property. You know, a lot of private minerals, a lot of private operating companies. So, you know, and then jurisdictions like Texas is going to protect their interests. The republic, you know, the Texas is going to re- protect. A lot of the thing they do in the mineral extraction industry from victims in Washington D.C. I mean that's mm-hmm. just a fact. Um, <clears throat> so the the biggest problem is the negative tone the federal government can set out towards domestic um, oil and gas development and extraction and production, and and that tone can set up a lot of political uncertainty, like what rules might there be implemented, what uh, what decisions might courts lean towards in the future? Um, for example, the uh, Gulf of Mexico thing that got thrown out because of a federal judge saying they didn't, they didn't, uh, they didn't correctly ascertain all the potential climate risks. Yeah, that's the usual excuse. Not enough research on yeah. the negative impacts this will have to climate. <laughs> this was one that the federal government had approved for lease. So. <clears throat> You have that, and then it also creates a negative tone in, in financial markets, right? Like, well, you know, if political system doesn't like it here, then we're a lender. Maybe we should have less exposure to oil and gas because, you know, that's just not in vogue, right? Blah, blah, freaking blah. Mm-hmm. It all comes to the same point in the end you still use hydrocarbons and you use a lot more of them than you think, especially if you live in a modernized economy. Mm-hmm. And California is a great case study on this. California has been heavy on the green stuff for over four, for around 40 years with all these massive wind farm projects, solar projects, all these things. And California still uses as much oil now as they did 40 years ago. But there's one difference, right? They import most of it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, it's a total joke. Mm-hmm. It's a total freaking joke, man. Well, it's I all mean, not in my backyard. If we yeah, get it from somewhere else, offshore yeah. production, we don't have to think about it. We're going to go green. Oh, you must endorse child labor and strip mining. You know, I mean, <laughs> come on, man. It's a freaking farce. Mm-hmm. We're going to get off of fossil fuels. You ain't never going to get off of the hydrocarbon. The only question is where you're going to get it from. 
which country are you going to get it from? And then ultimately at some point in the future, where are you procuring it from in the universe? Are you going to manufacture it in a, in a warehouse or a lab? Are you going to get it from, I mean, hydrogen and carbon are exceedingly abundant molecule mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, the hydrocarbon is an exceedingly abundant molecule because hydrogen comes from the sun and carbon's freaking everywhere. Mm -hmm. Thus the basis of all building block on life. So you're going to always use hydrocarbon. The same reason that you uh, still use wood because there's a lot of uses for it, mm -hmm. right? Mind you, wood is also a hydrocarbon, but, you know, less than <laughs> grass. So anyway, the fact remains that we use a lot of oil. We're going to still use a lot of oil. No amount of initiatives or transitions or any of that junk is going to change that we use a lot of hydrocarbons. It won't. In fact, if you unveil these things too quickly, you're going to increase and spike the demand for hydrocarbons because of all the energy you need to put in to create the systems that you want to deploy. Mm -hmm. So... It's just the federal government, really, it's not, we're not talking about if you add up the actual acres and you add up the actual barrels, they could come in and say, let, let's flip the token around. Let's say it was reverse. Let's say the federal government said, we love oil and gas and we're only going to charge you, you know, 6.25% royalty. There'd be a bonanza to go get all these federal leases. At the end of the day, it might only add one or two million barrels of oil a day production to the United States over a 10-year period. Really. And Which that is... would be under the most favorable of circumstances, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you know, anybody can listen to this and challenge that. I mean, that's off the top of my head. But you're not talking about a huge percentage of the land that we produce from in this country. So the federal government doesn't do much in the physical aspect, I don't think, as far as how much acreage does the Bureau of Land Management have under the domain of the Department of the Interior and the secretaries that, that the president appoints to help run these things. Um, it's more of the tone that they're setting out there. When you're setting out a negative tone towards domestic energy production, then it makes us more vulnerable towards the aspirations and whims of our enemies. Hey, you know, they still can't get out of their own way over there. They still want to do a bunch of green projects and they're still going to use the oil. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, let's just put them all in a bind and, and just charge them more to get our energy, you know. We we don't have a scenario here that is, you know, I mean, we're far better off than Europe. There's no doubt about it, right? Oh, yeah. I'm very happy with uh, our the way we sit in this situation. But we're certainly not there because of a federal government. We're there because of individual states, individual property owners, individual company operators, all in aggregate, are far more intelligent than any directed, controlled situation from mm -hmm a small group of people that are elected or appointed at the top. So, I mean, the, the, this whole thing, again, to circle back to where we started, yeah, they're going to resume leasing. They're going to tell everybody, oh, well, we're going to, we're dealing, we're, we're, you know, this is a necessary evil, right? To punish Russia, we all have to make a little bit more. 
the federal government isn't going to affect that tangibly a whole lot one way or the other. What they will do is that they will send out a lot of political uncertainty in general, and that will bleed into economic challenges such as higher rates for insurance, higher rates for debt, borrowing money, and harder to access private capital. You know, they, for example, could do any number of things that in those regards can be far more destructive over long term and intermediate or even more near term. So I, I guess what it all comes down to is it's not worth getting too wrapped up about what the Biden administration is doing in regards to federal leasing or not. It's more about the general tone towards the industry and how is that going to have follow on effects to other things, right? And so, I mean, with that, I think, you know, that's a good kind of we've covered a lot in this week's conversation, <laughs> trying to go a little bit longer. You know, hopefully, hopefully our listeners like that, you know, um, hopefully they find value in what we're talking about here. And, 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 and the biggest hope is that, you know, people just, again, go look up anything we're talking about. Um, challenge it. Think about it. All we want to do is try and give a, a perspective on it from being in the industry ourselves. Exactly. We've got all those references we've been talking about in this episode linked right below this video, or if you're listening to the podcast, it will be in the description. So we would love you to challenge us. We will feature any questions you have, any challenges you have in the next episode. So please email us at podcast at rarepetro.com. And if you really didn't enjoy it or really didn't agree with what we had to say, we'd love to hash that out on the next episode. But we have run long. I think that's all we've got for this week. So thanks for joining us. And until we see you next time, take care, everybody. 